Thank you, Ian. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We are in Galatians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I would ask that you turn there. Again, my name is Brandon, and I'm delighted to be with you here in worship this morning. Uh, It's good to be here because this matters, (laughs) y'all. Matters to come together. We are here specifically for the purpose to be encouraged, to worship our creator, to be filled up, to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And I, I missed y'all last week. And, um, and I know my wife misses y'all this morning and it's just good to be together. Jacob, it was really fun to hear a good sermon on my, on my phone this week as I went for a jog and, and, and thank you for, for your faithfulness, uh, last week. If y'all were here to hear Jacob talk about the importance of prayer. Such a good word for our church, and I pray that we will remember it as we move through 2020. Susan, I love that you mentioned um, growing up here and, and mentioned Mac. We, we welcome um, Mac's wife, Patty, back into our church family um, last week, and we're so grateful for that. Um, Mac moved, uh, his ministry moved to Atlanta and Miss Patty with him and um, she's come back to Nashville and she's with us. One of the greatest joys of my job here is, is Mac and Patty's son, David, is the pastor at the church at Lachlan Springs and he's become a really close friend of mine. And um, one thing that is funny is David and I are connected even though we didn't overlap at Belmont. We both are connected with Belmont where we went to school he was four years ahead of me, so we missed each other. But we also were both connected through the basketball program there. David played there. And so we both love basketball, and we talk about it often. And one of the things that we argue about is that I really like the National Basketball Association. I like the NBA. I always have. I grew up watching Michael Jordan and, and loved it and have continued to love it. David calls it unwatchable. It's okay. I mean, we're going to find out. That, I mean, it's okay to be wrong. You know, we're wrong <laughs> occasionally, and um, about things. Sometimes I even am. But we go back and forth. He does not find it watchable, and I get what he's talking about. The game is is changing. Uh, I I personally still like it. So when the news happened this week that the longtime commissioner of the NBA, David Stern, passed away on New Year's Day. It was, uh, you know, I, I noticed that. It was a big deal. David Stern was the commissioner of the NBA longer than anybody has been commissioner of any of the major leagues, uh, major sports leagues in, in my lifetime. And he's credited with moving the NBA from a relatively obscure, um, you know, organization where its games were only on tape delay. Some of you will remember back in the early 80s, shepherding it into a time where it's, it's all over the place now. And and wildly popular, but, but Stern passed away at 77, and it brought to mind a fascinating exchange that I remember. I was, it was around 1999. The NBA had gone through a, a season of uh, collective bargaining where they couldn't come to a, an agreement between the owners and the players, and half the season or some, some of the season was lost that year. They only played a 50-game season. And at that time, Sports Center was rising in popularity on ESPN. And one of the anchors on Sports Center was Dan Patrick, who's become one of the more popular sports reporters even to this day. And I remember him cutting his teeth in Sports Center. And, and I just really helped my love for sports grow because he was so gifted at giving the highlights and telling about it with little catchphrases. Maybe you'll remember going, going, gone when a home run's hit or the whiff when somebody 
strikes out or in fuego when somebody's like really hot. These are the things, these are statements that he coined. And there's, there's many statements that he coined. But this particular sports center, he was taking David Stern to task about whatever was going on in the NBA and just really letting him have it. And Stern got on the phone and called in while it was, while the show, he's a live sports center. He called in and Dan engaged him and they had this on air phone conversation where Stern said, Dan, I have to tell you, I disagree with what you're saying. This isn't, you're not telling the whole truth. And it matters to me because I believe, Dan, you are an important opinion former in the sports world. And I feel like I need to step in and, and, and say what I believe is true about this so that people are not misled. Really interesting exchange. And they were amicable, they were fair, and they agreed to disagree. Now, Ian just read this passage from Galatians. And I got to tell you that Paul obviously did not have a phone to jump on to call the apostles in Jerusalem to check in on how they were representing the gospel. But I believe he would have had he had that, but he didn't. So he and Barnabas and Titus had to travel 14 years after the first time Paul went to Jerusalem to proclaim the gospel. Acts 15, I believe, is when that happened. Traveled all the way to Jerusalem. Took time out of his missionary schedule building the church to meet with the leaders in Jerusalem and make sure that they were proclaiming the gospel faithfully. He was afraid that the gospel was being distorted. And in being distorted, afraid that it was being misunderstood. You see, there were some false brothers, the text tells us, that had infiltrated the ranks, and Paul had to make sure that the gospel that was being preached was not distorted. These false teachers were trying to say that salvation comes from following Jesus and adherence to Jewish law and custom. But it does not. And Paul knew this. These teachers were, were saying that Paul was teaching what Tim Keller calls an easy believism, an easy-to-believe Christianity that asked nothing of us. Now, we'll, we'll get back to that. But that's what they were these false brothers were accusing Paul of. And Paul had to make sure the apostles there were not leaning into this false gospel that some were proclaiming, or even worse, that they were the ones that were actually proclaiming it, but they weren't. And, and hence, compromising kingdom fruitfulness by this distorted gospel. This is why Paul feared, in verse 2, that he might be running in vain. He was trying to prevent the ministry from being stifled of its fruitfulness. Now, he did not fear that the disciples, the apostles in Jerusalem, did not have the true gospel. He didn't fear that. He, he was confident in what he had proclaimed. He was confident in the gospel. He wasn't questioning whether or not he understood the gospel. He feared that they would give in to the temptation to water the gospel down based on what the false teachers were trying to add to the gospel or change the gospel into. But the text tells us that after they arrived, Titus was not compelled to be circumcised. 
So the acceptance of Titus by the Jewish believers, the Jewish Christians, showed the apostles were, in fact, espousing the correct gospel message, that an individual becomes spiritually clean, acceptable, holy. They begin to recognize and live into their their identity as a child of God through Christ alone, in Christ alone, and not through any deeds or rituals or customs. But just because salvation does not require anything of us does not mean it did not require anything of Jesus. Quite the contrary, it required everything. And to forget that, to not live into that even slightly diminishes the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me. Paul took this long trip to Jerusalem because it is paramount that we remember the gospel. It's not paramount that you show up here on a Sunday or that I do even. I'm getting paid to be here and check a box so that we can feel good about some custom that we have agreed to and satisfied by being here. That is not what this is about. Paul took this long trip to Jerusalem because it is paramount that we remember the gospel and all that we do and all that we are, that we remember that God's righteous demands are for us to be holy, for this world to be made whole. Yet our brokenness that we can just look around and see, it's obvious that results from sin is our current reality. And that the law that was given, all 600 and some customs and laws that were given to God's people back in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, that they tried to live up to, that this law was absolutely insufficient to bring about the holiness that God's righteous demands requires. Yet God sends his son, the Messiah, who lived a perfect life, who died the death that you and I Merit and who does not, did not, does not, did not, does not remain in the grave. And that after rising from the tomb and coming out, he met with his closest friends before ascending to be with his father in heaven. And he will return to complete the restoration of all things. This is the gospel that we must remember. And it is paramount that we remind one another of the gospel as often as is necessary, which I submit to you this morning is often. My good, good buddy, clergyman, always tells me (laughs) when we get together that I don't even know the gospel in a loving way. It's always sarcastic, and I always interpret it as heartfelt. His point is, is that we all, including himself, need to be reminded of the gospel. Lest we forget and compromise kingdom fruitfulness by, A, failing to proclaim it, or worse, proclaiming a distorted version of it. Paul is unwavering in his commitment to the gospel. He believes it with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. And he is making sure that those who are also communicating it, opinion formers, are not 
distorting it. They must not distort it. We must not distort it. So what about this opinion that Paul, this, this, this word that was going forth from the false brothers, that Paul was teaching an easy-to-believe Christianity? He wasn't. If Paul were here with us today, he would laugh at the idea, if we expressed the idea that it was easy to be a Christian. He spent the better part of his ministry in jail or getting whipped. It was hard to be a Christian in Paul's experience, but it was not hard to identify as a child of God because Jesus did that for us. There is nothing that we have to do, Paul would tell us, to to step into and live into our identity as a child of God, to follow Jesus. Yet there are demands on our life as a follower of Jesus. There's a way we must be, and it's like Jesus. Good luck. But we can do it together. Our obedience is so important, but it is not an obedience that gains us merit, that gains us salvation. Christ has done all that. We are obedient because of what Christ has done. And it is hard. It's hard for me every day. I must have your help. It was hard this week. I had a lot of questions. 16 years being married to Leslie Ann Howell Owen. She hasn't been sick outside of being pregnant with you guys. It was really sick then. This was hard. And it's hard to overcome my selfishness fully on display this week because I'm consistently made her illness about me over and over again. Humbling. Brutal. It is hard to be obedient. You don't have to work for your salvation, but you have to live as a Christian. You don't get off. And and just think about it. If we're not trying to live like Jesus, to to, to love the world as Jesus would, why would anybody want to be like us? They'll see right through it. If we don't follow Jesus fervently, obedient because of what Christ has done, living into the truth of the gospel, that Jesus has done everything for us to have abundant life, and eternal life with him, then how? How will we attract and retain new disciples? 14 years of missionary work put on hold to go to Jerusalem to make sure it wasn't compromised. Please don't miss in this text how important it is to understand and live out the gospel. I promise you that was not a journey that was easy or that Paul wanted to take. So what would Paul say to us if he traveled here today? Well, there are some things that we're going to say to one another that I believe are consistent with what Paul would say to us. And we have been saying them, but we're going to say them ad nauseum this year. I'm going to say them until hopefully you're sick of me saying them. We are called to be disciples who are making disciples. We are called to be disciples who are making disciples. This is how Paul would encourage us to be more fruitful. I get an email every week that tells me how many people are here at church. And it is so easy for that number to be something that really matters. It does matter 
Like, we need to be here. And that number represents who is here. But that number doesn't say a thing about discipleship. Doesn't say a thing about whether or not our hearts are breaking for what breaks God's hearts and whether or not our hearts are turning to God who alone can heal and restore all things. That number does not measure fruitfulness. I believe the numbers will come, or maybe they won't in our lifetime. But we just spent all of December talking about God's faithfulness in Revelation and what God will ultimately do. So I know how it ends. I know that those numbers will come. And yes, I want them to come sooner. Yes, I want our discipleship to explode to the point where people who do not have the hope that we have in Christ, that we should have, will have it as well. Our call is not to ensure fruitfulness. It's faithfulness. God will bring the fruit. We are obedient because of what Christ has done. On the first Sunday in October, you may remember, we had a vision Sunday. We heard Mike Glenn on the screen encourage us that we were not going to be able to do it anymore like we've always done it. Indeed, we are going to need some new wineskins. Eugene Peterson contended 40 years ago that it was not difficult to get a person interested in the message of the gospel, but it is terribly difficult to help someone sustain that interest. True. I would argue that Eugene, were he with us today, would say it's become a lot harder to even get someone interested in it. There's so much else out there. And so by default, it's even harder to sustain that interest if it's harder to even tickle someone's fancy. But these two things are so important. To get someone interested in the gospel by proclaiming it and then to help them sustain that interest. And because it's harder, because our context is different, we have to learn. We have to be malleable. We have to try new ways. I was changing, we were changing Leslie and sheets at the hospital this week and we were putting the sheets in and I was it flooded a memory. I, I learned from my mother's mother, my grandmother, Peggy, to tuck in every corner, like hospital corner, like um, military corners, you know, tight, snug, very difficult to unleash. And it was so, as a young child, I was frustrated with that because it, it was hard work to get them in. And then one Christmas, we were at my dad's mom, grandma, who's with Jesus now, and we were, I was making the bed with her. And she didn't tuck the corners in. <laughs> and it was awesome. I said, Grandma, you don't tuck the corners in. She said, no, you don't have to do that. They come out anyway. blew my mind. You can do this differently. You may have heard this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it's a great story. There's a, there's, I don't know if it's true, but there's a, a story, a legend, where there's a, a mother and a daughter, and they're baking a pot roast in the kitchen. And as they begin to, to make it, mom cuts off both ends of the pot roast, puts it in the pan, sticks it in the oven, and her daughter says, Mom, why do you cut off both ends of the pot roast? 
said, well, my mother cut off both ends of the pot roast. Why don't you ask your grandmother? So she calls her grandmother and asks her, well, Grandma, why do you cut off both ends of the pot roast when you cook it? And she said, well, my mother did that. So why don't you call my mother? Her great-grandmother was still alive. So she called her great-grandmother. She said, great-grandma, why do you cut off both ends of the pot roast when you cook it? And her great-grandmother did not say that her mother did that. Her great-grandmother said, honey, that was the size of our pan. That was the size of our oven. So I cut off both ends so we could cook it. The pans have gotten bigger. The oven's bigger. It's different. We are not going to be able to do it like we've always done it. But hear me. It does not matter how much our context has changed. It does not matter what our newer, better, fancier, shinier methods of evangelism and discipleship are if we are not first disciples ourselves. If we are not first pilgrims on a journey to holiness, if we are not first in a growing, learning relationship with Jesus that will not end and will not stop offering opportunity to learn new things and to be changed even more until Jesus returns. There is, I, I, I do not have it all figured out. And if you come here for Susan or for me or for Jacob or Oksana or anybody else here to, you know, to explain how things are fully, it's not going to happen. Only Jesus has that. And he hasn't returned yet. We are all on this journey, growing, learning together. And I got to tell you, that makes me really glad that I don't have to know everything. I know how it ends. And I'm learning alongside of you. And I believe it is the greatest. It's the only thing really worth learning. It gives meaning to all other things to know who we are in Christ. We're going to say some things about disciples making disciples that help us to remember how we're going to do this. We're going to encourage you to be in groups. Many of you already are. We have a a life group number that is close to our worship attendance number. I love that. I want that to be, I want that to always be the case or even be more so. Maybe we'll have people who are only in groups, but they don't come to a, a large gathering. I hope they will eventually, but maybe they don't ever, and that's okay. That's part of a, a new way of thinking. But they're with us. They're with even a, a smaller portion of us. And maybe that group doesn't meet in these walls, and that's okay. Maybe it doesn't meet on Sunday or Wednesday, and that's okay. But we're going to be in groups. Our text teaches us that the right hand of fellowship was extended to Barnabas and to Paul and to Titus. And they were together. Don't miss that. They needed one another. Paul did not set out on that journey alone, and we can't do this alone. You need a group. And we need to provide groups that not only fill us, but also reach out to others. Being together in community is the key to a long, faithful pilgrimage with Jesus. We're going to encourage you to have gospel conversations. So many of you already are. So many of you have already taken the training, which is not perfect training, but it's encouraging and it's done really well. And it's offered on Wednesday nights. And we would ask that you consider to do that, even if it just, there's no right way to have a gospel conversation. You just, you just be open to it, to what Jesus, what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do. 
You have a relationship with Jesus that you can't help but tell others about. So you're open and willing to tell other people about it. Tell people about Jesus and don't be weird. And our groups are going to serve together. Listen, we're going to be kind. We're, we're going to be kind. Because that's, that's what Jesus was. That's what we're going to be. We're going to be kind. We're going to let love govern how we approach any and everybody. We're going to show up here together, whether it's in your group or for worship or both. We're going to show up. We're going we're to be available to one another. We're going to be teachable. I'm going to be teachable one to another. We're going to have a loving kindness and faithfulness that, that, that exists over our certainty. Open to what God is trying to teach us. I still have so much to learn, and I pray that you will share that posture with me. As Jacob reminded us last week, we're going to pray. We have to pray. Prayer is the posture. It's the breath of the Christian. It's the, it's the posture that doesn't necessarily change things as if we could, but it helps change us as the Holy Spirit works through us, and then we go change things. Prayer is vital. We're going to study. Don't be scared of your Bible. We're going to help one another understand it even better because we're going to spend time with it and we're going to share. Verse 10, they asked only that we would remember the poor, which Paul says he made every effort to do because you cannot follow Jesus and have plenty and not share it. It doesn't work. Now, all of this comes out of the overflow. It comes out of what Christ has done for us and not in order that we would attain salvation. We remember the gospel, that there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more or less. The work has been done by Christ, and I pray that you know it today. It's why we gather. It's why we gather around the tables. In these next few moments, we are going to do that. We are going to share in and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. One of the first weeks we were here, we were eating lunch after church on Sunday and we got finished and kids, I love you, but it was, it was hard that day to, you know, to have lunch and, and we were tired and the bill didn't come because one of y'all paid it. I think, I don't know who it was. I'll never know. I don't have to know. That was really cool. Thank you. Whoever it was. This meal that we were about to share has also been paid for. And as we gather around the table and remember that it has been paid for, we remember the gospel because we must remind one another of the gospel, that God's righteous demands for us are holiness and that our brokenness, which is evident in the sinfulness in the world, was not able to be overcome by the law and its customs and our adherence to it. Yet God sent Jesus, his son, the Messiah, who lived a perfect life and died the death that you and I deserve. And he does not remain in the grave, for he is alive and he will return to complete what he started.